space, and he's found the back of the net. Just a little off foot, thinking he's going to go far post. Not strong enough with his right hand. Whips that one in. Far post, almost made him in, and they have. He has the hat-trick. The second in his career. The third of the night. The hat-trick hero. Talked about you're not going to be able to sustain that kind of pressure. To the corner. Goes towards the near post. And you're on the angle. And what a goal. What a goal. Hello. This is Reb Brad. Friends, today my heart is tremendously heavy. For the past week, the U.S. has been ripped apart with the wrongful murder of African-American George Floyd. And Floyd's death isn't just an issue that has touched Americans. It's touched people around the world and even in the game of football. We've seen athletes take a knee or place George's name on their captain's armband or their shoes. We've watched on TV screens and perhaps we've even participated in peaceful protests and we've also seen the violent rioting. All of this coming in the midst of a global pandemic, and perhaps some of our recent lockdown and quarantine has been sparking and stoking the flames and emotions until, until our communities are beyond the breaking point. What ought one to say during such times? What ought one to do in the face of such violence and injustice, in the midst of uncertainty and hurt and pain? This week, I was reminded of the words of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a confessing church pastor who pastored in the middle of Nazi Germany during World War II. He wrote these words, Silence in the face of evil is evil itself. God will not hold us guiltless. Not to speak is to speak. Not to act is to act. Prejudice is an old problem, and one that has plagued football. A number of years ago, I remember gathering chaplains for a conference call to speak to the issues of racism that we saw within our own sport. And as I've watched and listened this past week to the different voices and to the protests, I've been reminded of some of my own issues of prejudice that I've had to confront over the years. I recall one such moment was, came when I was in college in Chicago. The school where I was at was only a few blocks away from the Cabrini Green housing projects, and many of our school activities were aimed at loving on and caring for the children and families who live there. In my sophomore year, I was part of a student group that looked to address the issues of racism. And much of where we were as a group needed to start internally within our own selves by examining our own hearts and attitudes. I remember there was this poignant moment for me in the process, and, and just for some context, let, let me share a little bit. I wasn't necessarily an innocent, unassuming person. I had grown up in Arizona with Hispanic, Latino friends. I had lived in the suburbs of Detroit, Michigan, and had African-American friends that I went to school with. I was even part of a student-led gospel choir group on college campus and had a campus radio show where I hosted a black gospel music uh, radio program. But I still had my own prejudices and my own heart issues that needed dealing with. I, I remember as we gathered as that student group and we were seated in an auditorium with my classmates and we started discussing how we might affect change amongst our student body. All of a sudden, uh, I think God just kind of hit me with something I, and I I asked to share, I raised my hand to share, and I shared a recent story. I'd been shooting hoops in the gym when a couple of African-American boys excitedly came in and started shooting baskets and were running all over the place. And they were on the opposite side of the gym, but I had left my bag over there and some of my things over by where they were playing. And I, w I, w I remember feeling really uncomfortable, and I just went over and, and I moved those things closer to me. At the time, I hadn't thought anything about it. 
But as I shared it in the midst of this group, an African-American friend of mine, uh, his name's Dante Epshaw. I, I love him and respect him tremendously. Well, he was processing and facilitating this group time. And I remember he asked me, he said, why did you move your things? Well, I, I didn't know them. I hadn't seen them around. I didn't know what they were about. I didn't know what they were up to. I didn't know if they were sponsored by one of the other students and, or maybe they were just in here messing around. I, I didn't know if I could trust them. He asked, would you have acted the same way if the boys had been white? I hesitated. I couldn't say, but something inside of me knew my answer would have likely been no. And I looked down. There was a strong sense of conviction that I felt, and I I felt that coming from the Holy Spirit. With tears, I apologized. I apologized for my heart, my attitude toward those two boys. I remember as my friend Dante got up, came over to me, and he said, I forgive you, and he hugged me. What followed on from there was a time of mutual sharing and and confessing and forgiving amongst this odd collection of students. There weren't many of us there, but I remember a a friend there, a a Navajo Indian and several African-American students. A number of them were Hispanic and Latino and, and a few Asian students there was someone there with a physical disability and, and also a number of Anglo students. And each of us kind of had gone around and shared these stories about different prejudices and fears that, that we had or, or wrongful attitudes maybe that God was kind of revealing to us even, even in that moment. Some of them stemming from circumstances and conditions of our growing up. Some of them just attitudes or just naivety, things we didn't even know. It seemed like hours later, I, I don't know how long it was, but we started asking the question again, how should we influence our own school? It seemed that what we had just experienced was what we ought to share in front of our other classmates. And so a few weeks later, in a chapel service entitled The Wall, we assembled again, we told our stories and shared our confessions and our fears. And, and in the weeks that had led up to that, and as we, as we sort of It feels weird to say we practiced and rehearsed what we were going to do, but we did. And it was really just sort of reiterating those same stories that we had shared with each other. Well, friends, I share that story because for all the things that might be said during this time, I believe there's little can be done about racism and injustice until we begin to examine our own hearts and attitudes, our prejudices that we carry towards others of various race, color, creed, and so on. Change cannot begin until we examine ourselves and allow ourselves to fall under the judgment and conviction of God for our racial and prejudicial attitudes. You know, we're all capable of evil. We're all capable of sin. Abba Isaiah, one of the Christian desert fathers, once said, When someone wishes to render evil for evil, he is able to hurt his brother's conscience even by a single nod. It takes very little for us to be set against someone. Even a wrong look or a casual glance can turn someone's heart toward bitterness or anger and can relive years and years of frustration and pain. My friends, for those of us in positions of power or influence, whether you're a pastor, a chaplain, or you're in some other role, we cannot remain silent during these times. My friends, for those of us that have never walked a mile in someone else's shoes, we need to examine our own hearts confess our own prejudices and sins and failures, 
Sometimes that sin is because we have failed to speak or we failed to stand up for the one who is unjustly treated or abused. And God is wanting to get at the root, at the heart issues that we have against one another. You know, a few weeks ago, I talked about this attitude, the spirit of Cain, where we say, who's my brother? Am I my brother's keeper? Who's my neighbor? We ask those questions with incredulity. And lastly, for those friends of mine that have carried the burden of oppression and have had to live in fear because of their skin color or for some other reason, I am so sorry. And I urge you to seek God, to trust in him, to avenge the wrongs and injustices done to you. I want to share another story from the Desert Fathers and Mothers that I think is appropriate. There was a Christian brother who had been insulted by another Christian brother, and he came to Abba Sisios, and he said to him, I was hurt by my brother, and I want to avenge myself. The old man tried to console him and said, Do not do that, my child. Rather, leave vengeance to God. But he said, I will not quit until I avenge myself. Then the old man said, Let us pray, brother. And standing up, he said, Oh God, we no longer need you to take care of us since we now avenge ourselves. Hearing these words, that younger brother fell at the feet of the old man and said, I'm not going to fight with my brother anymore. Forgive me, Abba. Friend, I know that your heart aches and is perhaps hurt by the pain of this systemic issue of racism. And I encourage you to leave vengeance to the Lord. Stand up for right, but do so with integrity and truth. Justice will come. Pray for peace. To close, I want to share the June 2nd prayer from George MacDonald's The Diary of an Old Soul. When thou dost send out whirlwinds on thy seas, alternatest thy lightning with its roar, thy night with morning and thy clouds with stars, or mightier force unseen in the midst of these, orderest the life in every airy pore, guidest men's efforts, rules, mishaps, and jars, tis only for their hearts and nothing more. Amen. Lord, help us to see that even in the midst of these times, you are after our hearts. This is Rev. Brad coming to you from the Touchline.